Hello, hello. Welcome to a brand new episode of the SaaS Prince podcast, the podcast for content marketers in SaaS. I'm your host, Yag. In today's episode, we are going to discuss what it takes for a content writer to drive traffic in millions. With us today, we have his royal awesomeness, John Morrow, the owner of Smart Blogger, the largest writing website in the world with over 6 million readers. If you haven't heard of him, let me tell you a few things. He has helped Neil Patel and Brian Clark get over 200 million visitors. He has also built the biggest content marketing school where every graduate is assured well-paid work. And some of the top writers trained by him include Dr. Benjamin Hardy and Tommy Walker. All this and a lot more while being completely paralyzed from the neck down and controlling his computer using his voice. So without any further ado, hey ho, let's go. Hey John, I'm super happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Right, John. So you have made millions from writing despite the odds in your personal and I'm sure guessing professional life as well. So tell us a little about, um, you know, your entry into writing and marketing and your evolution into the entrepreneur that you are, where you're helping other writers build a lifestyle business. Yeah, I started out as a freelance writer. I started out writing guest posts for free for, for different sites. This was it feels like a long time ago now, about 15 years ago. I gradually became a really popular guest poster, a really popular freelancer. And then I got invited to become an editor over at Copy Blogger. And that, that's kind of where my career took off. I spent several years there and, and really helped grow Copy Blogger. Back in the day while I was there, it was like the marketing blog on the internet. And um, I think we grew it to about three and a half million visitors a month. While I was there, we had hundreds of writers. So um, yeah, that that's kind of where I learned what I'm doing and, and what I do today. Yeah, yeah. So what inspired you to um, start this company and teach this to a lot of people? Because not every person who goes through this also decides to uh, you know start teaching. So how did that come from? I started teaching. In the beginning, the idea was, what do I know how to do that other people want to know how to do? In the beginning, it was, how do I, how do I pay my bills with those, with that expertise? Um, I mean, I wasn't making a ton of money while I was at Copy Blogger. And um, I mean, they treated me very well, but I was an employee, you know? And eventually I, I decided, you know, I really need to go out on my own. I need to do this. And what's the one thing everyone wants to learn from me? It's how to get more traffic. Right. And so that's what I started teaching. I love that story. That is amazing. You know, you've helped a lot of your clients get about 50K visitors, um, you know, within the first 30 days of their website. And you've made millions of dollars of a unique contract somewhere I read that 
doesn't fall into the typical quid pro quo words for money kind of an arrangement so let's talk about that you know tell us about the unconventional deal that you typically make with clients uh, that makes you who you are today yeah i figured out when i was at copy blogger that if i could get them to agree to a link or to a favor that was actually worth more to me than than whatever they would pay me so i would write an article in exchange for one link to one of my programs for sale for example and back in the day this was like an unheard of concept to to do that nowadays it's a lot more common but um back then they were like of course i'll do that and on some of those links i i made 5 10 20000 um from just one link in their article because people read the article really enjoyed the content clicked on the link and then came in and, and bought things from my business wow that's definitely you know when are you talking i mean uh, when was this this was 2000 wow that's pretty early somewhere somewhere around then yeah the pre yeah, hubspot yeah. uh, era it was yeah that was definitely before hubspot really right, took right. off no that's absolutely awesome and uh, you know one thing that i've noticed about you is that you're so good at making headlines so let's talk a little about that you know it's it's one of the most sought after aspects when it comes to writing and marketing and uh, somewhere i read that uh, you spend an average of about 2 hours to get the headline right which kind of explains when i look at your content pieces and they drive huge traffic a couple of headlines that caught my eye which i absolutely loved were the ones where you said uh, 21 warning signs that your content sucks I'm a content marketer so it does sting and then uh, you also spoke about traffic techniques that are a waste of time for beginners. So what is your recommended framework when you come up with headlines? How do you, you know, get that kind of clicks, engagement and conversion as well? The the first thing I do is I I look at what traffic source I'm targeting. So this is one thing that a lot of people misunderstand. They they think that a good headline is a good headline when in reality a good headline for search typically won't do well on social and a good headline on social won't do well on search so you have to start off with a goal in mind and really the only two goals are number 1 i want to rank for a keyword that's goal number 1 goal number 2 is i want to go viral and get a whole bunch of shares on social media. And the the styles of headlines that you write are very dependent on that. So with social headlines, it's mostly about the emotion that you make the reader feel. With search headlines, it's about optimizing to increase your click-through rate on on search. And so those are two different things. The ones you mentioned or or socially driven headlines. So what I do when I'm writing a social headline is I really think about the emotions of the reader. What are they feeling? Um what are their fears? What are their desires? And then I try to say something they haven't heard before. Um I try to give them a feeling of surprise. 
That's the fundamental emotion of all viral content, surprise. And and that's kind of where I start from. No, I mean, out of what you said, one thing that actually surprises me is that when I look at content for SEO, like when I search something on Google and land on a set of topics, even there, I'm the person who's clicking. And also on social media, I'm the person who's clicking. So how is that the emotion is different on social versus what you do on Google? So what Google does, um, they optimize for a, a smaller subset of content. So j- just imagine on Google, on the first page, you may have like eight results. On social media, you have um, a stream of stuff going by constantly. So that's one difference. The other difference is intent. If you are searching for something, that means that you are looking for that thing. On social media, you're not searching. You're not looking. You're just passively receiving content. So those are the two big differences. And because of the, the change in mindset on search, including the search query, even if it is boring, will give you a higher click-through rate than, than having an extremely emotional headline b- because of the intent and because you're looking at a smaller group of options. No, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, so how goes the conversion on those kind of headlines? You know, when you drive a lot of traffic somewhere, you know, content marketers also believe that the the post that drives the most amount of traffic or goes viral may not be the one that is actually converting. But in your case, I also see the conversion rate is equally high. It depends on the emotional connection that you make with the reader. In my case, it converts because... Let let me give you two different concrete examples. So let's say like a cat video. Cat videos go viral all the time. But just because someone watches your cat video doesn't mean they like and trust you, Uh, right? Um, On the other hand, if they read your story when they go there, then they, they start to like and trust you they start to believe you're an authority, then they are likely to convert and buy something because you've built the beginning of a relationship. So it's all about what happens after the click. And the real trick in in viral content is making something go viral that also builds your authority with the reader. That That's how it turns into money. Right, right. No, I love that. Uh, you know, especially I think the uh, cat uh, example versus personal content, I think that hits the bullseye. Now, talking specifically about, uh, you know, the content going viral, um, is there, um, you know, a formula that people can apply to go and do it time and again? Because certain times when I post on LinkedIn, I do see that certain posts suddenly gets about 100k views, certain other posts hardly gets 100 views. And uh, it's like, what is happening? And uh, often people are trying to identify a formula as to, hey, if I can hit these four or five parameters, will it work? And surprisingly, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It is a little bit hit and miss. I can give you a a couple of ideas 
to improve your hearing, though. The first is, there's a book called Contagious by Jonah Berger, which is the science of things that go viral. And that applies to content just as much as anything else. So you can learn that science and that will improve your hit rate. The other part of it is, uh, I, I mean, I, I guess like th there are three things. So that's the first. The second is the algorithm on the platform. So the algorithm on, on Twitter or YouTube or LinkedIn, they're all different from each other. So it's understanding the way that algorithm is working right now. And then number three is to really go viral, you need influential people in your space to share it. What most people think of as viral is I share it with one person, they share it with their friend, and it goes on and on. In, in reality, that's not really what happens. What happens is you share it with an influencer, they share it with a million fans. Okay, so your network and your relationships matter. When I want to go viral, I ask people who have big audiences to share it, to start that viral cascade. That's impressive. You know, that's really, really interesting to think about it. Uh, you know, um, when I put out a content and I expect it to go viral, it's, it's like, uh, you know, spraying and praying versus here, it's, it's more like, I know who are the key people that can actually sneeze the idea virus around and that does make an impact. I mean, it, it's funny the terminology used based on, I mean, I think like um, Seth Godin used the word sneezers. Um, and it's really one of the reasons why I've had so much content go viral is like the people I know have probably 100 million Twitter followers combined. So if I reach out to all of those people and say, can you share this? It's perfect for your audience. And they share it. And it's engineered to the principles of contagious. Then yeah, it's probably going to go viral. This is awesome. Right. So um, right now, like according to you, what is the biggest obstacle that is holding a lot of copywriters back from achieving their full potential, like say in terms of their career growth, financial success, personal brand. So what are they missing or what is the gap that one needs to fill? The first is skill and understanding what skill means. You will make money dependent on how much traffic you can bring in. And so if your work is not bringing in traffic, then it means that your skills are not up to the task. Okay. So if you are writing and you're not getting any results, what it fundamentally means is that you have a skills deficit. Okay. And what you need to do is go to work on your skills that impact whether or not you get traffic. The reason why so many of my students are successful is we practice certain skills 
over and over and over and over and over until they can do it in their sleep. That's how you get good at something. So it's not a matter of learning or being like being able to pass a test, like memorizing something. It's it's about being able to do something instinctually without thought. Yes, that's when you become truly skilled. And if you're not at that point yet, then the most important thing you can do is identify your skill gaps and then go fill those skill gaps. Right, right. So a lot of people, for example, you know, uh, may be good at writing, but they might not have the right connects. So does it mean that the skill gap here is to uh, get the right connects and build that and that is the way to master distribution? Is that what it is? It could be. It could be part of it. Um, I would say that is your skill gap if you're writing something and it's getting like 20 or 30 shares. It's getting some traffic. but And everyone is saying, this is amazing. If that's where you are, then probably you have a skill gap related to promoting your content. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I'm absolutely loving this. All right. So with that, uh, you know, we let's go to the second half of the podcast, which we call the rapid fire section. I would love to, you know, see a side of personality where you take a stand. So I'm going to shoot five pointed questions at you. And the questions may be short. The answers need not be, you know, I would love for you to speak your mind. Are you ready? Sure. Question number one, what is one thing that you think that you haven't mastered when it comes to your writing? Is there something like that? I haven't mastered all of the social platforms. I can tell you for sure. Um, my, my focus has been on search more than social. I know how to do social, but if you look at my work, out of like all of the visitors I've gotten, probably 80% has been from search. So I haven't mas- mastered social. Right. I think you're already on your way to do that. But uh, let's look forward to it in a year or so. All right. Um, so here's question number two. What is one message that you would like to give to that one person who might be in the situation that you were in in 2006, where you were hit head on by a car and were feeling completely hopeless about the future? My, my message would be to be defiant. A lot of people try to decide for us what our potential is. And they, they look at you and, you and they think, I don't really believe in that person. And when you're in that situation, you can feel it. You can feel that other people don't really believe in me. And what I would say is when you're in that situation, you have two choices. You can either say, you know, those people are, are right. I, no one should believe in me. I, I, I don't have much potential, which is what most people do, by the way. Or you can say, you know what? Everyone's wrong about me. You can have a chip on your shoulder and you can be defiant. You can say, you're all wrong. I am going somewhere. 
and I'm going to work hard to get there and do whatever it takes. No, that is that is absolutely inspiring. Um, that is something that, you know, it's not easy to do for a lot of people, but yeah, that will definitely take them a long way. Right. So um, here's question number three. What is one piece of content that you wrote and you think you want more people to find it and read? I recently wrote um, a book that I just published called AI Writer how to write 100 times faster with AI. So that's one thing I'd love for more people to read. Um, I think AI is going to change the landscape for writers forever. And so preparing yourself is, is going to be really, really important for everyone's future in this space. Oh, that is really interesting. You know, for um, someone like you who runs a school about teaching writing, and then AI, do you believe that it's going to augment people or do you think it's going to replace people or is it going to be two skills that complement each other? How do you see it? It's going to raise the bar a lot. Um, so with, with AI, you can literally produce better content faster than you could before. And so... What that means is people who have that skill are going to be able to write, for example, um, I've, I've written top quality articles with AI in about 20 minutes, where before it would have taken me five hours. So what that means is I'm now massively more productive. What it also means is people who have high skill sets are going to be massively louder and the noise on the internet is going to get massively louder and so if you're not skilled it's going to get harder and harder to stand out so it's it's going to raise the bar but if you can jump over that bar the rewards are are going to be massive all right so here's question number four uh, who is that one person that you would uh, love to give a shout out and say that, hey, uh, Yag, you should invite this person as a guest on the SaaS Prince podcast? I think maybe talking to a big content marketing agency um, about their experiences would be would be really cool. Like... Um, Codeless, for example. They work with a lot of SaaS companies and getting their experience behind the scenes about who's successful, who's not. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, Codeless. Definitely. I'll definitely try to find somebody from Codeless on the show. That'd be absolutely interesting. All right. So here's the final rapid fire. Would you prefer 50K visits a month for the content that you wrote or 100 people converting from the same content over a three-month period? I, I, on average, I can get about um, 3% to opt into an email list. Okay. So 3% of 50K would be what, around 1,500 people a month. And on average, I could screen about 20% of those people 
into buyers. So I would get about um, about 300 buyers out of that. So yeah. Wow. So it is uh, definitely more than 100. So in, in any way you look at it, now I get the logic. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. All right. So you hit all five questions out of the park. That is amazing. Yeah. I mean, the elegance with which you hit all five questions is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's so cool. Right. So if the listeners of this podcast, if they want to uh, you know, connect with you, what's the best place to find you and how can they connect with you? Where, where do you hang out the most? You can find me on Twitter. Um, on LinkedIn and also I, uh, you can go to smartblogger.com and check out everything we publish there. And uh, if you have to share a parting message with our audience today, uh, these are content marketers in the world of SaaS. So what would that be? Don't underestimate AI. Uh, one of the things as far as taking a stand that I would say, um, a lot of industry leaders, including Neil Patel, someone who's a friend and I deeply respect, um, and, and, and also CMOs at huge companies like HubSpot have come out and said, AI isn't there yet. Um, what I'm seeing behind the scenes is it is here already. And what's going on behind the scenes, people aren't really talking about. Um, for example, I, I know different content teams that are going from five posts a week to 100 posts a week because of AI with the same team of people. That is going to fundamentally change things. And it already is fundamentally changing things in such a massive way that if you want to get into this industry and you don't pay attention to AI, if you sleep on it, I think everyone that does that is actually going to get left behind and, and taken in. They're, they're, going to, they're going to lose out and get beaten. Right. So the people who are challenging AI, the challenge is also about, you know, when you go from five to um, say a hundred a month or hundred a week, the, the problem is uh, they're saying, are you uh, still having that core point of view? Are you still maintaining that quality? Are you still able to go deeper with your content? So uh, do you think AI is there in those areas as well? I will say the smartest people with AI can create content that is indistinguishable from a top 1% writer. Um, there aren't that many people doing it, but... I just did a, a podcast um, with James Altucher and I showed him some of the prompts that people are using now. Uh, it is literally better than 99% of trained writers if you know how to use it properly. What the, the mistake, a lot of people expect to get content from one prompt. The teams who are winning are not writing, I'd like you to write a blog post about blank topic. That's not the prompt. What the prompt is, is about, they have 12 to 15 prompts per article 
and they break it down into components and they're very detailed. So they may have a prompt just for the opening paragraphs and that prompt may be five paragraphs long that they use over and over again. That That's what's happening behind the scenes. Right, right. No, this is awesome. I think this is going to be one of the most useful snippets that is going to actually, I, I'm assuming it's going to go multi times viral today uh, when it goes out. But uh, yeah, that's that's absolutely awesome. Thank you so much, John. I, you know, this, this entire conversation has been really, really inspiring. One that I have been looking forward to for a long, long time and uh, really appreciate you spending the time and uh, coming over here. I appreciate you having me. Thank you, Yak. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's that from us in this episode. And uh, until we connect with you the next time, this is bye from me, Yag. Have a good day. Bye.